<laughs> we are funny people. That's been established. That would be the name of the episode. We are funny people. So, yes, very relevant to the topic. Yeah, I mean, basically, when you think about it. Okay, so hi everyone. Yes, welcome to Un-American Activities. Yeah, this week we watched Crimson Tide. And uh, before we talk about that, um, this is kind of significant because I've seen Crimson Tide before and we ended up watching it because uh, last week, you know, Mariah was like, hey, we've watched a lot of shit. Um, can we watch something good for a change? And I thought that that was a solid idea. So we, we tossed around ideas and I think I mentioned Crimson Tide and I said, I really like Crimson Tide. So you were like, okay, that sounds good. Um, but this is significant because uh, I haven't talked to you a whole lot about how much you liked the movie. And this is like the moment of truth of whether or not you liked the movie, because if you didn't, that is back to back Zach recommendations that you didn't like. So, all right, let's see, let's hear it. Oh, and I thought it was a great movie. Oh, fine. no, no cap. It's a great movie. Okay. All right. So it's not, uh, it's not the shooting then. It's not the shooting. And you know what? <laughs> I'm really glad you, bring, you brought it up because uh, also I remembered that I never wrote my review for that movie for you. I check but... every day, but, you know. <laughs> oh my God, of course. <laughs> I think about it every day, but every day I'm like, shit. I... <laughs> um, yeah, the shooting, guys. You would think that, uh, you know, a 60s B-movie Western with a very, very young Jack Nicholson as like an evil cowboy would be a great thriller and you'd be um right. but uh, according to zach you'd be right but um no my i turned to my uh my friend while we watched it and repeatedly said when is this gonna end <laughs> when is this movie gonna end see and that's impressive because, because it's this... like 80 minutes long it's not even a long movie i specifically that's exactly why we watched it it's 80 minutes like, yeah it's like you can't go wrong 80 minutes and worst case scenario you're like, like oh 80 minutes passed it's like not even a full 80 minutes either it's like 75 mm. minutes like it's not it's really not that long but it felt like an eternity and i will say that the the my favorite moment in that movie which uh-huh. i was gonna say for my review but now that we're talking about it i'll just tell you now this uh, is your on-air review this is my on-air review i'll type it up for formality's sake later <laughs> Okay. Um, my favorite moment in the shooting is when Coley gets, he sees like somebody approaching over the hill or whatever. And he thinks that it's like somebody come to kill them. And he has like a sack of flour in his hands or something like that. And he just starts mm-hmm. like, you get this like wide shot of him running from one end of this kind of bowl Valley to the other where his tent is or whatever. And he's running and he, the flower is just getting everywhere. Like it's just, co- he's just covered in flower. And it is like, I mean, you get like a solid 15, 20 seconds of this shot of him running and it is fucking hilarious. <laughs> I really like lost it at that. And then the rest of the movie, I was like, nothing's ever going to top that moment and it nothing did you were right apparently okay so it's been a while since i've seen it but the part that i remember distinctly um and it's it's not like a plot point but you remember that scene where he's like in the tent i think 
and the campfires outside. And I think it's like night, but it might be day, but like he comes out and it's like the sense that somebody is like watching from outside or something. And it's Mm kind of creepy. That's it. That's the part I remember. That's the part that I really like. I really like that part. Couldn't tell you. Okay. So I guess for context, um, we have this thing going on where we have each created like a Google doc list of movie recommendations. Uh, So there's movies for mash and then there's your movies for me. And so we've like slowly been going through these lists. And I think you actually have one up on me now with um, the shooting. So I need to watch one to tie it. But so far um, this is the first one that you've disliked. So, so that's like, yes. Yes. So it's, it's a good, it's a good conversation piece. It's left in fighting. We already have it. Perfect. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I got to look at the list again, but I am now nervous about the next <laughs> one that I choose. <laughs> in fairness, there's like at least one other miss on there just to like keep you on your toes. Oh no. Yeah. Get ready. No, I was, I was looking at it the other day and I was like, I honestly think that's the one that I guess realistically you were the most likely not to like. There's like one other one that like also, but you won't be bored during the other one. So like, at least you'll have that. Are you not going to tell me what that one might be? Um, no. Uh-uh. No, don't be. tell me. Cause that just. Cause that, then that'll then be the we'll last one you watch. So, you know. Right. And it'll be, you know what? Okay, let's see. I got the list open here. All right, perfect. Which one would I not like? I don't know which one I might not like. They all sound so good, exactly, because I only pick winners. So I guess we'll see. All right. All right. No, that's good. Wait, 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 wait. Uh oh. Is it Shallow Grave? No, that has Ewan McGregor in it. No, I would, genuinely, I would genuinely be surprised if you didn't like that. Because, like, you had talked about, um, like, I mean, you like thrillers. That's, like, a really fast-paced, short thriller. And it's I like, love Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I, I mean, him. who doesn't? He's amazing. Beautiful man. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I, I would genuinely be shocked if you didn't like that one. I honestly, you should watch that one next. Honestly, now that I'm looking at it, it's been a couple of days since I looked at this whole list. Um, yeah, I really without just with like that last one. <laughs> I I usually just open the document and then I sit and I think about typing my review for the shooting and then I don't do it. <laughs> All right, I mean you don't have to. Technically, my initial thing was like you could just write like good, bad. I don't like you anymore. Like, oh, and then the I just section. went full. Like, you wrote like a really good review, so then I wrote a really good review. Well, I don't know about really good, but, you know, I've tried to write an equally in-depth review. Um, so then it's kind of stuck. But, I mean, maybe this one will about this one. So Now we've talked about it. Maybe this one will just be one sentence. Um, I don't like you anymore. That can be the sentence. End of podcast. <laughs> this concludes our relationship. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need All right. To watch well, it that's what's funny. I do, I do need to watch it again so that I can uh, I can trash you for not liking it or and be like oh I don't know why I liked that but I mean we'll see I mean I I can see why you would like it Zach like just you as a person like in your based on your interests and stuff I appreciate it yeah it's a cinematically interesting movie it's this the story is like I I don't know it's just very specific because it's it's a non-story 
you know? Yeah, no, oh, yeah, no, exactly. That's kind of why I, I picked it. I like those. <laughs> um, uh, there's definitely, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that was like, that one's like one of the, one of the weirder ones, I guess, on the list. So um, when you said you were watching it, I was like, honestly, she might not like that one. And then you texted me, this is not good. <laughs> and I was like, oops. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. There's like one other one that I think um, I will genuinely be interested to hear your thoughts on because it's like one of the weirder ones, but you know, and, and then there's another one that's like, I'm not going to say the names, but there's one that is like very, um, it's kind of slow, but, and it's also doesn't really have like a plot, but I think that that one you'll be really into like artistically. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I think that the rest are mostly winners. There's like two that I'll be interested to hear though. Uh, MASH's list so far has been all winners. Um, and <laughs> I don't think that I'm going to dislike any of them. So I guess like she'll have the higher score at the end, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's not, it's not a competition unless we make it one. And also I, my list for you was like more free form because the list that you made me was all movies under 90 minutes. True. And that was kind of, yeah, that was my or, thing. It's like yeah. closer to 80 minutes if possible, but like all about 90 minutes or less so that you were like, oh, you know, you could, you would have time to watch them. And also it's easier to watch something that's short. I've watched a lot of short movies lately too. Yeah, yeah no, the, I mean, Crimson Tide, when I saw that it was two hours, I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm never going to finish this. But it, I mean, it moved fast. So it was a great, it was a, it was a great movie, but yeah. I've been watching a lot of short movies. And I mean, I, yeah, like I, the reason that you made this list for me the way that it is, is because I was like, I am too ADD to watch like full length movies. <laughs> I get so bored or I get like distracted or um, I'll just like suddenly find myself like having too many any emotions and then I have to turn the movie off yeah we'll see the next list that I make for you is all going to be three hours or longer movies so it's going to be <laughs> flipped get ready and I will never watch them <laughs> you'll watch like one and then never again it'll be over <laughs> that'll be like my movie for the year yeah no that'll be it no more podcast podcast can't be about <laughs> movies anymore after that yeah no we, we have to do something <laughs> This is not a propaganda program. Brothers and sisters, it's time we ask, what the communists do? What do the communists do? I had my way about it. They'd all be sent back to Russia. Empeñados en resistirnos a esa tesis que viene del norte. Alguien me decía hace poco que todo lo malo no viene del norte. De la era tecnotrónica. Que las ideologías ya no sirven, que están de moda. No, nos resistimos, no lo aceptamos. Un American Activity. All right, let's get into it. Let's let's dive in. <gasps> dive. Ooh, because it's water, like a it's submarine. A submarine movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That's going to be the name of the episode. I don't think that would be catchy, but yeah. No. All right. Uh, yeah. So we watched Crimson Tide, as we said, uh, 1995, directed by the great 
Tony Scott, rest in peace, um, starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. And then also you got Viggo Mortensen, James Gandolfini, uh, Steve Zahn is in it a little bit. Uh, Love Steve Zahn, R.I.P. Spoiler. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great cast. Um, I feel like there's somebody else. Ryan Phillippe is in it. Like Danny Danny Nucci is in it right yeah there's a lot of people in this movie who i like recognize from other navy movies like other movies about the navy where i'm just <laughs> like hmm, you also point. played a, a sailor like a you know a low-ranking sailor in some other movie so they just got the navy look about them and that's how you get cast in the navy movie i guess so yeah i've never been cast in the navy movie for that reason i don't have the navy look so me neither yep. i just don't who would have thought yeah uh so this as mentioned earlier was uh our attempt we wanted to watch something that uh, we would like and i'd seen it before and i'm a, a huge tony scott fan and so any opportunity to watch crimson tide i was pretty game with um and i, be- I believe that my reaction to zach's suggestion of this movie was you know i looked up the looked it up looked at the cast and immediately was just like hell yes yeah. I was so excited. And it's so good. It's like a really, it's like a pretty fast paced two hour submarine thriller um, that like, it really does go by pretty quick. I was watching it and I had known there's like the thing where the last hour of the movie is essentially for the most part in real time. And once you get to like the last hour, you're just like, Oh, okay. Now I'm here. It is. This is, this is that- it. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's it, it is fast, and with the whole well, we'll get into it. Yeah, it's 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 a good movie. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start us off, um, just talk about the movie. Uh, the the plot of the movie is the U.S. is on the brink of a nuclear war with a Russian radical who is commandeering a nuclear weapons base, and so. Uh, Denzel Washington and Viggo Mortensen are both Navy men who are going on this, uh, you know, Navy mission to kind of like be there in case they need to fire nuclear warheads from the submarine. So they board a nuclear submarine. Um, Denzel Washington is the number two to Gene Hackman, who is this kind of uh, old school, hard ass um He's an eccentric. Uh, yeah, he has a dog, you know, things like that. He's very Gene Hackman in this movie. Like he's really playing himself in some ways. Like he's yeah, playing like, that sort of classic creepy eccentric old cigar smoking Gene Hackman. Oh yeah, the cigars are like key key to the character, I would say. The cigars and the dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah and he's he's kind of has this reputation as being a hard ass and it's like he's seen combat which very few others have um and so that's that's the significance of him so sorry i think it's just important to note that the combat that this captain has seen was like panama and grenada yes like these are just really horrible u.s interventions in latin america (laughs) yeah classic it, yeah, and uh, and once the the submarine um, gets going, tensions build between Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman, and specifically based around an order to be prepared to fire nuclear weapons 
and uh, sort of a, an argument about whether or not there a subsequent order which didn't totally go through was an order to stand down. Uh, and then they just mutiny each other for the rest of the movie. And that's that's the movie. Which is great. You never get to see that kind of stuff happen in, in military movies because yeah. it's always about the chain of command or whatever. Sometimes you, you see like, you know, movies where people go AWOL or they go rogue or whatever. But I have never seen a full on like naval mutiny where they go through this like weird protocol for uh, like carrying out a mutiny which like you wouldn't think that there would be protocol so they must have made that up like there must not be like any um you know legal basis for that in military or in navy like uh rule book but they made it look pretty damn official and they had like body armor and sidearms and stuff like that on the ship yeah no (laughs) and it just keeps escalating each mutiny is more (laughs) like bold and uh i guess kind of violent than the last (laughs) Yeah, no. And by the end of it, you know, you got people pointing guns right at each other's heads and stuff. And I, okay, my favorite escalation, though, was when Denzel is like, he tells some guy, he's like, go to the laundry and get four co- sets of coveralls and four caps. And it's like, whoa, the coveralls are coming out. <laughs> That's when you know it's the real deal. Yeah. And then they come out with their little coveralls and their little caps that say U.S. Alabama. Very cute. Yeah, it's it's all it's it's all so stylish that um, the navy know. is just very cute. So <laughs> I I wanted to join the navy because of the uniforms. Wait, is that real? Yes. For <laughs> for like for like a split second, I was like, oh, I have a linguistics degree. I'll go like, you know, I could I, I could have an actual career in the mili- in the navy, like doing trades. I, I it was really like an uh, uninformed um, investigation. I want to but, see that like bottle episode of like Mariah joins the Navy. That would be sick. I would love that. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah. I let's just say I did not get past the front page of the Navy website. <laughs> Perfect. That's probably the place where you should call it quits if you've gotten that far. So uh, yeah, no, it's Weird. a good it's a good place to stop. <laughs> uh, so Crimson Tide is directed by Tony Scott. Um, probably best known for Top Gun, which I haven't seen actually, funny enough. I've seen um, a lot of Tony Scott movies, but Top Gun is just the big one I haven't seen. I know, can you believe it? Uh, And he's also Ridley Scott's brother. um, And he- Oh, what? I did not know that. Yeah. Um, The the superior Scott, if you ask me, Tony underrated. He's where it's at. Um, Whoa. I don't know that I'd really say that. I mean- I, honestly, you could be right because Ridley's movie. I was just thinking about Gladiator today, uh-huh. and that's a Ridley Scott movie. Yes, and it's like it's good, but didn't Ridley Scott also do Kingdom of Heaven, which is terrible? Yeah, I've I've never seen Kingdom of Heaven, but I've heard that the like longer version is actually good. Um, but it's already a long movie, so like it's a lot of dedication to watch a movie that is not known to be good. Uh, not that and that's ever stopped real. me before, but. No, it hasn't. And and uh, <laughs> let's be real. It's a it's already a long, long, long movie I've with Orlando Bloom in it. <laughs> Not an Orlando Bloom stand, I see. Okay, good to know. Not a huge Orlando Bloom stand. I like. I enjoyed that movie when I was younger, like a teenager. But yeah, it didn't. Really hold you up liked me. Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah. Okay. Why not? I don't know. Just you were like so against it a second ago, but like teenage, you liked it. Then 
adult me might like it you know i'll be entertained i guess who knows <laughs> i don't know things change I, I guess we'll see i guess we'll see um i i took issue with all the like cultural depictions i don't doubt that okay anyway we're getting very what is kingdom of here. heaven about you've never seen you've never seen it i i missed no. that oh no okay, yeah no, no i've never seen it because it's long yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's about time. it's about the crusades it's about the crusades oh a, that's kingdom of heaven that makes sense okay. yeah 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 shows what i know okay yeah, we, we, we got caught on <laughs> like a dumb thing we're but... really that was a huge squirrel <laughs> moment right here that's yeah. okay squirrel moments abound one thing i wanted to point out before you go back into your your like description or whatever is that the the tension or like this weird vibe between um uh gene hackman and denzel washington begins when Gene Hackman is interviewing Denzel to be his new XO, which is the number, you know, the, the number two. And it's like this really weird, just again, he's got his, he's got his dog, he's got his cigar. They're in kind of like a dark room. It's like raining. raining outside. And it's, yeah. Right. And it's, you know, you're kind of getting this um, tension where it's like all of a sudden they, he has to be deployed or like everything is happening really quickly, right? And so that's Denzel is being thrown into like a pre-existing crew and chain of command of soldier or of sailors on this ship. And he's like the noob, like nobody knows him. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, so he's kind of like the underdog or the, you know, the outsider. And that's, that's the dynamic that's set up from the very beginning. And he's like a Harvard man, a Naval Academy man, a like, you know, blah, blah. He has all these like credentials that the, the captain, uh, you know, kind of p- pokes fun at a little bit. It's kind of like, oh, look at you, philosophy man. Hey. <laughs> well, right. And, and it's sort of like uh, Denzel is the, the hot shot, you know, um, right. coming out of school, but who has never actually had any firsthand experience, you know, with, he's never seen any action. Whereas, right. um, you know, you have this very old school um, captain who is, you know, has, has the experience and, uh, you know, I think kind of views because he's a Harvard man, you know, like, you know, looks down on him. He thinks, you know, you know, that's sort of one of those dynamics of, uh, you know, you, you right. may be this this learned guy, but uh, you know, you'll never know what I know. Yeah, and uh, you know, we'll talk about it probably a little bit later. But uh, if you hadn't noticed or if you didn't know this, Denzel Washington is black, whoa, and therefore his character is black, and in a very very subtle but pretty fucked up kind of way, uh, it's it becomes clear throughout the movie that part of Gene Hackman's like resentment and um you know kind of condescension towards Denzel's character whose name is Hunter uh is that he's black and and it's just so like it felt really weird to me because this is like a very you know this movie's not that old I mean it's more than 20 years old at this point but comparatively compared compared to like Red Dawn you know it's not that old Mm -hmm. and it just felt weird to like watch that kind of like subtle racism play out because I was like, come on, like this is like, this is Denzel. I don't know. <laughs> well, I kind of like that. It's, it is because it, it is more of a subtle thing. I mean, there's like one explicit moment in the dialogue where they're talking about the horses and uh, yeah, and that, that 
was just so fucking that at the end is just like okay now the gloves are off like we know that you know that this guy hates this young like hotshot black officer because he's black it has nothing to do with anything else (laughs) it's it is sort of funny because the movie doesn't really like play that up to be like the major uh issue at hand it's not like it's just sort of like one of the other underlying things that are you know at play here um, and which I think I like. I think that was, I think that was what kind of bothered me about it is that it's because mm-hmm. it's like, why is this a thing? Like, why are you making it a thing? Just to add, you know, like it's, a little extra stakes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> a, yeah, I, I don't know. Like it, it, it felt really like forced and mm-hmm. uh, out of place. And it's like, there was enough of a conflict, enough of a dynamic between the two characters without that factor right and i just i mean at the same time though like when gene hackman was racist um like were you surprised you know what i mean if his character was a real person it does feel like that would be an element that you know what i mean that is a really good point you're right no Uh, i wasn't surprised at all (laughs) yeah you know but it's (laughs) not It's well, yeah, because it's almost one of those things where, like, if you're watching it, you wouldn't necessarily be like, "Oh, this is written that way." But I think because of the dynamic of like, "Oh, this is the the young black dude who is kind of like coming in, and he feels undermining him." Um, yes. Right. Yeah. I I almost I almost texted you at one point while I was watching it and said like, "Is it just me, or is there like some kind of weird racial dynamic happening mm-hmm. that I'm like not a hundred percent picking up on, or that they're not re- like." It, is that intentional like whatever because i was so it because it was there and there was this you know this animosity feels like it could totally be racial mm-hmm. but but it just wasn't obvious right away right and then, yeah i totally as, as time goes on it yeah eventually yeah like at the end there's that really explicit point where it's like ah yes but <laughs> yeah i mean you almost when when you get to the end you're almost like okay so so that was a thing you know it's not like right you don't expect like, yeah that my, my intuition was right right yeah it's a it's a strange sort of reveal yeah I, I agree I, I totally see where you're coming from with being like uh they didn't really go for it but it's there and so it's sort of this weird in-between place but I was just gonna say that it, if they had made Gene Hackman like oh like he went to the Citadel in South Carolina for for school but he went to the Citadel before it was desegregated or like you know he he's he's just like a old school Southern type racist. Like they could have played that up and had it be like, Oh, like this is the first black, uh, you know, XO on a nuclear submarine. Like they could have gone in that direction and mm-hmm. made it like more uh, kind of theatrical in a way. And I think that it would have, I mean, it would have been a completely different movie. Right. Because that would have right. been the conflict. It wouldn't have been about the, you know, this mutiny and this uh, emergency order and this nuclear, you know, potential nuclear catastrophe. But it's, in my opinion, they could have gone one or the other and they they just decided to do like a weird blend of both of these types of movies. And I'm not saying I would have wanted to see the other type of movie because that it probably would have turned into some weird like white savior thing where like the racist (laughs) white guy ends up being, but it kind of ends up that way in this movie. Like, to some degree. I mean, it has this sort of like, at the end, he sees the error of his ways to and some degree. And he decides to retire and he lets, he like recommends Denzel's character for 
his own command, which is a, like a wonderful, you know, that's like a, a glowing recommendation. It's a big deal. Right. And meanwhile, the Navy uh, just looks like really bad. <laughs> oh, the Navy looks so bad. Yeah, it's kind of perfect because uh, they look really bad at the end because there was like three mutinies on this mission and they almost incorrectly launched nuclear weapons at Russia. And, uh, and then they like really have to make sense of it. And that's sort of where it leaves it is like, uh, and then man, we almost nobody gets up. fired. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> they'd have to admit their fault to fire them. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's sort of like in the position where he realizes, he, I think regardless, like Gene, Gene Hackman would have like had to have been forced to resign if he wasn't going to do it on his own because they had the testimony of everybody else. And that was a whole part of it and clearly you know he was wrong they also try to be like well you know denzel you were kind of wrong too but you were right and uh i mean that i bet that's how the navy is honestly that makes sense to me yeah and i mean it's not it's not really in the tradition of like any united states military or governmental institution to like actually punish people <laughs> like they, were wrong. They, yeah. they only punish <laughs> political enemies Right. They only pub- punish people who are, are have the potential to become political enemies or to create a political problem. Which yeah, brings me to a, just a brief side note before we like get back into the movie. Uh-huh. Do y'all remember the story of Captain Brett Crozier, who um, was fired or removed from his um, command on some maybe I don't know the. I don't remember the name of the vessel, but he he was fired because he blew the whistle on the fact that his ship had coronavirus cases and he wanted to like get his men off the ship and into quarantine and like get them taken care of uh, and then like quarantine everybody else so that they wouldn't get sick if they hadn't if they weren't already infected. And he got fired. <laughs> and like the secretary of the Navy was in, I don't remember all the details, but like, I, I seem to remember the secretary of the Navy, like either resigning or also getting fired for um, s- standing up against this or something like that. Mm. But uh, yeah, yeah I, pretty I, fucked up. I vaguely remember like reading a little bit about the story, but I didn't know the details. That's this, that is fucked up. It sounds kind of um, like you're selling yourself on the realism of this movie though. I, I am like th- this you're movie. Like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Scott knew all along or whoever wrote it. But This is really quick. Crozier was relieved of his command on April 2nd, several days after an email and letter he sent up the chain pleading for help and more quickly responding to a COVID outbreak on the ship, uh, which, and the email was leaked to the media. The leak led acting Navy secretary Thomas Modley to can Crozier. Modley himself soon resigned after a record leaked of him trashing the captain to the TR's review yeah this is um like his um all the sailors under him were they were like when he left the ship there was like there's video of them all chanting his name and just like they really loved him and didn't want to believe and you know it's a really fucked up situation he was just trying to protect his like sailors yeah anyway fuck the fuck that there's also a lot of shots of dogs. Did you realize that? Isn't it just the one dog? Yeah, but then at the beginning, Denzel has a dog too. And there's like a couple shots of, it's like it's like the guy, the magician performing at his daughter's birthday. And then it's like reaction shot cut to the dog. Oh, right. Oh yeah. This, this sweet, precious like lab, this old lab. Oh. 
Yeah, it's like a um, dog movie. I wonder what that means. Yeah, maybe they'd made him have a dog so that it would, or as like a foil to Gene Hackman's character and his weird dog. I guess that would make sense too, because then he gets chosen after the dog, Gene Hackman's dog takes a liking to him and his dog probably takes a liking to him because he smells the dog on him. Yes, exactly. I think that's, exa- I think you just answered your own question. I figured it out. Yep. But I think Tony Scott doesn't really get uh, the credit he deserves. And I think actually he started to now. There are more people that are like, oh, Tony Scott kicks ass. And I'm like, hell yeah, he does. Tony Scott's the best. Like, uh, Man on Fire, love it. Another great oh my God. performance. Have you seen that? Yes, great movie. It's so good. Underrated. It's like, it's so yes. underrated. It, the style of it. I I was reading this. Um, I was reading some stuff about Tony Scott to sort of like prepare for this. And this guy, um, this this one, there was a, a like the Guardian film blog by um, from Tom Schoen, and it was about Tony Scott. And it was kind of critical about Tony Scott, um, which I disagree with. But but it, it says what, one of his analyses are. I pulled a quote. It's um, Scott's great subject, and it was a great shame he never saw this. Was Hollywood? His style may have been defiantly impersonal, but few bodies of work better speak to the muscular stat- status battles and territorial snit fits, the bluff, boast, and braggadocio that rule Hollywood than Scott's. Um, which I think is like, I, I agree with to some degree. Um, but he's also very critical of Tony Scott and kind of talks about how uh, the, the title of this blog post is Tony Scott's own story was always a bit better than his movies. And I disagree. Hmm. I think Tony Scott has like a very specific way that he takes um sort of a like by the mill studio movie and turns it into the best version of it that it could be. Um, I completely agree. Right. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I, I just need to say, I did not realize this and I am so sorry, Tony Scott, Tony Scott directed Beverly Hills cop too. Uh, I was actually getting, that should have been our cold open. All right. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's not a. It's not as well liked as the first. So, right. But it's still good. Okay. All right. I haven't seen it. So. Oh come on. I've seen the first one. It's still good. Yes. Okay. Well, perfect. Then there's another Tony Scott. I'm gonna watch that tonight. List. Hell yeah, Tony Scottathon. Tony oh, Scottathon. He made. Uh, he made the Hunger, which is the, uh, the vampire movie. It's got like David Bowie is in it. Susan Sarandon is in it, and. That movie is so cool. Everything about that movie is so fucking cool. It makes vampires so cool. It's like it's like the coolest vampires have ever been is that movie. The ending is not great, uh, but it sounds like that was sort of like the studio interfering, which is a bummer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you can like look past that, uh, I love that movie. I think it kicks ass. Highly recommend. Have you seen Deja Vu? I have. I really like Deja Vu. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Again. It's, yeah, like he takes these thrillers that are kind of um, that could be really cheesy. Yeah, and and just like he has this really cool frenetic style. Like Tony Scott movies tend to have a ton of cuts and be like edited really quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he, I don't like, I don't know. He just does it in the best possible way. Everything just is like the best it could be with the style that he brings he, to it. He's like, um, I think he's who Paul Greengrass wants to be. Yes, totally. That's so spot on. But Paul Greengrass is too, like, 
like just a little too heavy handed with it, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's totally it because yeah, I mean, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think like, for example, I mean, uh, true romance is another big one uh, from Tony Scott and that movie kicks ass too. I love true romance. Have you seen true romance? No, I haven't. Oh, it's really good. Um, I used to watch it on Valentine's day every year um, before, <laughs> before I was like, dating anyone i would just watch that on i had these really weird traditions where i would watch um i would watch true romance every valentine's day by myself and then i would watch hostel every easter um oh nice (laughs) that one i don't really have like a good explanation for i just was like i'm gonna watch hostel today one easter and then every easter since it was like hostel easter you know I I like that. I once watched uh, another Denzel movie, uh, the uh, Malcolm X biopic oh, nice. on Christmas. Oh, okay. And it was really funny because I rented it the day before, right before the video store closed. And I was like, that, I, that was the only movie I was renting. And the guy was like, great Christmas movie. And I was like, <laughs> don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very like Spike Lee, Malcolm X, Denzel Christmas. It's perfect. Yeah, and I was alone. I was house sitting. It was a really, really weird. <laughs> that just sounds like the saddest Christmas I've ever heard. I love it. <laughs> it was great. It was a good Christmas. It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like my kind of Christmas. I should do that. <laughs> uh, anyway, I respect having like weird movie traditions. And yeah, I, see? I deeply. One thing I really appreciate about you, Zach, is that you are not afraid to rewatch movies a million times. Thank People you. make fun of me for rewatching movies as often as I do. That's dumb. But they. That just means that they've never loved anything in their life. They're sad people. Don't exactly. Don't let them you. Uh, you know what? When I was in film school, I had this friend. Uh, not a knock on her. Um, she has made it further in film than I have. So props. Uh, but she said she hated rewatching movies. She would just like never watch a movie more than once. And she had like a very small list of movies she had seen more than once. And uh, I really like her, but that made me so mad. I mean, if I, she's not listening to this, so I'm just going to talk shit. But uh, it made me so mad. It was like, why? That's That's just insanity to me like I, I think that's psycho shit that's like I, I don't I don't understand that right like like what sad existence do you live that nothing is worth reliving more than once like you know how many movies it's like aren't good the first time and then are so good the second time like even stuff you don't like sometimes are worth watching more than once I don't I don't get it it's weird yeah no I re rewatchability is like my, one of my number one factors in determining how good a movie is. And yeah, it's, it's important. I was just going to say, honestly, that is like, a, it's a great point because I think that, um, I think that sometimes there's like a, you know, that thing where it's like, um, I have to be like miserable for this to be good, you know? Mm. Oh my God. Um, and those movies aren't always rewatchable. The exception is if you're me, because I love to just rewatch unpleasant things. I think it's fun, but, but like, yeah, like you have to have, like, if it's a soul crushing movie, you know, like how, like, you know what I mean? It, you know what I mean? That's what you were saying. I'm just saying. I, it here, but. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. And I, you know, there are some movies that I probably wouldn't rewatch because they're too unpleasant, but like, I don't know. Some of my favorite movies are pretty downer. Like they're, 
because they're bleak or they're sad or they're dark or or whatever but um so tony scott is kick-ass uh i love him and he directed this movie and that's why it's good um although did you read any of the stuff about the script uh no i didn't but i know that tarantino was like an uncredited writer on this movie yeah so because him and tony scott were friends and tony scott was like hey come work on some rewrites for me and i guess he like decided to and that's where like the star trek lines come from and that's where the silver surfer uh fight comes from yeah just from tarantino and i'm like honestly i guess that makes sense that the star trek and silver surfer stuff yeah <laughs> that adds up and the and those things were very cute those were nice little additions i appreciated them they they added to that cute image of the navy that we've talked about so much so far yes it's very cute <laughs> adorable uh especially the guy who he gets in that fight and then he goes and he tells denzel he's like denzel's oh my like, god what? he's so cute <laughs> i mean he is he's a cute guy and he, he tells denzel um that they got in a fight and it was really dumb and denzel's like what was it about and he's like i don't want to say it's it's really stupid and he's like i didn't ask you i asked you what it's about and he's like well we were arguing about um i said kirby was the best uh silver surfer um com- wrote the best silver surfer comics and he said whoever did and uh yeah that's i don't know it's, just, it's kind of a nice touching moment it's like it's cute because it, yeah. it's like denzel is the, the father figure and you right. know and yeah danny nucci very cute oh is that who that is mm-hmm. oh see credit to you yeah yeah it's a great scene great scene good work on those rewrites um okay but uh moving on to like substantial things i guess just in general um do you want to kind of introduce a little bit about the you know sort of what you were looking into beforehand that we talked about uh yeah so i mean like the the general context i guess of this movie in terms of like relating it to why we chose it for this the purposes of this podcast obviously the antagonist is russia like there's this sectarian conflict happening in russia that's kind of seems like it's written as a parallel to the first chechen war um which is like a separatist kind of thing uh where like the you know the republic of chechnya like wanted to secede from russia and then russia was like no you can't do that and uh and so it's like that this was in the 90s early 90s uh so it's the russian federation not the ussr and yeah, I, I am not an expert on that history, not really like qualified to talk about it at all. Um, but that's kind of like the vibe basically is like post-Cold War, post-USSR, US-Russian relations. But while I was researching that, I discovered something very weird about this movie that apparently the, the origin of the, of the story is true at its bones but it happened did you know this no no i was trying to look up anything and i i was not as successful as you well this is fascinating kind of um the origin of the story at its bones is it, it it happened on a russian submarine during the cuban missile crisis oh um and it was um let me see the soviet submarine b-59 this incident happened in well during the cuban missile crisis which i couldn't tell you what year it was but it was in the 60s right 
62. Um, so yeah, it was like a whole thing where obviously, um, the U S Navy was like patrolling around the Caribbean and they were like dropping depth charges, depth charges, Mm. uh, as like a, like a part of like their training thing. But there was this like Soviet submarine there and they didn't really know what was going on. Like they were, I, I, I don't really fully understand how the real story happened, but basically similar to what happens in the movie, they lost contact temporarily with their commander, like, or with their um, authorities in Russia. And so they didn't know like what was happening. They didn't know what their orders were. They didn't know if they were supposed to like launch their nuclear weapon or not. And so, and then there was a disagreement amongst the, um, the crew or, or the command of the ship. And one guy really, you know, the commander really wanted to launch the torpedo. And then his like number two and number three guy were like, eh, I don't think we should do that unless we like hundred percent know. And he was like, no, 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 I really want to do it. So. That- <laughs> and that, well, that, yeah. And that's, that's the movie's plot more or less. Right. It- you know, I'm sure. But but the difference is that there wasn't actually a mutiny because the vessel was able to surface and like oh, get, yeah. get their life, get on with their lives, and there was like no, you know, there wasn't like a any major conflict. Um, that wouldn't have made a very good movie. I get you. No, would have made a really boring movie. So interesting that you know whoever came up with the initial script for this like found this really random story about a Russian vessel from the Cuban Missile Crisis and then translated it into this like weird, you know, American thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'm glad you found that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, but that, cause that sort of touches on, on, on something with this movie is, you know, obviously this is a podcast where we mostly watch like red scare stuff and then dissect it. And because we were looking for something that like we wouldn't hate, um, I was like, oh, Tony Scott, I could never hate him. And so it worked out. Um, but yeah, like as far as the politics of this movie go, uh, they're pretty vague. It's not a, a very explicitly political movie. Um, it's a, you know, sort of an ob- automatically political context because it's, you know, aboard a Navy ship. And um, right. the, the the plot of the movie is like, oh, World War Three is about to happen. And it's sort of, they keep uh talking about the cuban missile crisis as like that's the last time we were in defcon 3 or or whatever right right Um, and as far as this movie's politics itself um it it really is pretty vague on everything they set up that the villain is this um this russian radical named radchenko uh who is currently like going against the russian military um and uh and you know trying to launch nuclear warheads at the u.s and japan and that is what sets it up but from the time that they actually get onto the sub submarine you know and beyond um the enemy is essentially just like themselves they are just fighting amongst themselves uh there is an enemy submarine at one point um but like it never even you never really even go back to who it was, what it was doing. If it was one of their subs, you assume it is because it fires at them first. But, you know, it's, it's very um, ambiguous. And because that's really not the focus of this movie. It's like it takes, you know, a little bit. It is playing on this post-Cold War uh, thing and, and then giving it this, you know, cool submarine movie thriller Cold War style plot. Um uh, but it, that's really just the vehicle to make a you know a pretty compelling thriller. 
Yeah, no. So, I mean, we, we definitely got to talk about that, that kind of opening scene when they're on the sub, uh, you know, sitting around the galley or whatever. Uh, but yeah, this movie, I mean, like Zach said, it's kind of devoid of politics in some way, but in a very real way, it is itself like a political statement because it's a, you know, it's a U.S. military movie, but also like Zach pointed out earlier, this movie was not made with, like with <laughs> with explicit um, permission or endorsement of the United States Navy. Oh, I don't think Navy. I that out yet. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Well, yeah. It- well, I can just touch on that real quick. Um, yeah, yeah th- this movie because it it concerns a mutiny and is about <laughs> the Navy not doing a very good job at stopping something like this from happening. Um, the Navy was not a fan of this movie. They were not going to consult or fund it in any way. Uh, and so that's sort of a funny, especially when you look at um, Top Gun, uh, Top Gun came right. out and after Top Gun came out, enlistment went up. Um, and so you take that and then it's the same director. And now it's it's this Navy movie about World War Three potentially happening and uh, about the this sort of. Um, this this sort of dysfunction within um, this submarine mm. that that causes things to get really convoluted and multiple mutinies to occur, uh, and it, it kind of right is and, almost th- like and the, three people dying, you know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's sort of like the anti, um, almost like the anti Top Gun, whether intentionally or not. It really is sort of funny. It doesn't make the Navy look good, and it doesn't make you want to be in the Navy. I mean, that's that is really like at the end of the movie. I think how any sane person would feel uh i guess unless you're already in the navy maybe but yeah i mean any sane person uh wouldn't want to join the navy after watching top gun either because uh you know you you, you feel me like that's oh no, but, no i yeah. just haven't seen top gun so oh shit i, I barely right. know what top gun's about <laughs> okay well well anyway yes yeah, so so it's interesting that this movie, like, because a lot of the Red Scare movies that we're going to watch and that we have watched in the past, like Red Dawn, for example, um, they had explicit uh, intervention by the CIA, the FBI, the Department of Defense, the Department of State. Like, they have these, like, these are military propaganda movies at their right. core because there is this relationship between Hollywood and Washington, D.C., the national security apparatus. Like, you know, I'm sure that there is somebody else out there doing an entire podcast series on the like national security uh relationships in uh all the marvel movies um and like that kind of influence of the sort of laundering that happens in those um but that's not necessarily an issue in this movie right yeah and i was going to say sort of on that same note um uh with the cases of uh maybe less so like the Marvel movies, but specifically with the ones we've watched, um, the people making them, not just like the studio, but the individuals involved are right-wing figures pushing right-wing politics. You know, yes. John Wayne and Big Jim McClain and um, uh, our boy in, um, in Red Dawn. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean- What the, the fuck is his name? Milius. Milius, yeah. John Milius. Um, yeah, I mean, and in this case, um, I don't really know anything about Tony Scott's politics, but- um, this is not a movie right. that appears to be pushing any like right wing narratives. Yeah. No, not not necessarily. And in fact, you know, now we can talk about this conversation uh, that we've been referencing. There's there seems to be like a slightly more nuanced understanding of like 
maybe a more left-wing or liberal perspective on war and nuclear like armaments. Right. Um, so yeah, do you want to describe that scene for us? So in this particular scene that we've uh, are sort of drawing to, uh, it involves all of the main figures are sitting together uh, at the, the table. officers. Yeah, all of the officers are sitting together at the table, and so you have um, the captain uh, and and Denzel and uh, Viggo Mortensen is there as well, and James Gandolfini, and they're sort of talking about um, they're sort of just talking about what's going on and the threat of nuclear war, and uh, they get into something of a do you remember what kicks it off um well the the first thing is like uh there's they're talking about Redchenko. you know he's a fanatic he's a potential hitler blah blah yes, blah potential hitler that's where it starts so they're going back and forth and they're talking about uh the idea of dropping a nuclear bomb and how you know this is uh that that's what makes these these guys so dangerous and viggo mortensen comes in with what's that make us since we're the only nation ever dropped nuclear bomb on anyone they're having like a real conversation here and well uh, and it's it's great too because it's like <laughs> that's the real question that everybody should be asking themselves 100%. like and and so Vigo is sort of like the mouthpiece for that here and it, it works with his character as well I would say um and and so they sort of like continue on with that and then they start talking about um the the bomb uh you know being dropped on Japan and he the the captain asks Denzel where he stands on that um, does he think that they were right in dropping the bomb? And Denzel's answer is um, something along the lines of, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he <laughs> dodges the question and yeah. Pre- pretty much. Um, and uh, and then Gene Hackman's response to that is interesting way you put that. And Denzel says, how'd I put it, sir? And he says, very carefully. And that sort of, <laughs> that sort of like back and forth really does, that is like, how they talk to each other throughout and, until it becomes, uh, you know, a little, a little, a little more, more tense. Yeah. The, the tension really builds from there, but. Yeah. Cause they're trying to figure each other out and, you know, Denzel is obviously trying not to piss anybody off, but he clearly has like a, a different perspective and a different, uh, uh, um, you know, potentially a different political position from the, the other guys. And I mean, in a weird way, uh, obviously not in the military, never been in a context like this, but I felt kind of, I, I, I like empathize for Denzel in this situation because we've all been, anybody who's like on the left in any way, especially someone who identifies as a communist has been in a room where other people are talking about politics that go so deeply and profoundly against your own politics, but you're like not hundred percent prepared to like start a fight. Yeah, And you're just kind of like, like it's very alienating and weird and um yeah i you know we've all been there and 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 you just you want to you know your instinct is to like protect yourself and like not not necessarily to uh to challenge anybody especially when there's like a hierarchy in in front of you uh like if you're in your workplace or whatever so Oh, especially yeah. workplace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially workplace, right? <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's what's happening here is that this is this is his place of work, and he yeah. like has to kind of tread carefully. Well, which is fitting too, because like 
after um, Viggo Mortensen makes that line about uh, what's the what's that make us? Um, one character responds, "It makes us a prime target," which is hilarious. Yes, <laughs> and, yeah, it uh, makes us a prime target. And, look, and he says, "Look at all, look at all these, you know, these other third world countries who would love to drop a bomb on us." Yep. And it's like, you know, the the logical um, extension of that that comment is that the United States, the exploiter in chief of the rest of the world and of the third world, especially. Um, you know, deserves to have a bomb drop. If, if any country on the planet deserves to have a bomb dropped on it, you know, quote unquote, if, 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 and, you know, I don't believe anybody, I don't believe that uh, nuclear weapons should be used anywhere. Right. But in the logic of this conversation, <laughs> the United States is the prime target, right? Right. You know, evil empire shit. I think is also kind of like a little, uh, uh, maybe a foreshadowing or kind of a uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, to terrorist attacks that occurred after this movie happened like true chickens coming home to roost kind of logic yeah that's going to be a come our podcast thing is uh, <laughs> no um, yeah but no, <laughs> uh, uh, allegedly parody yeah fair parody uh, <laughs> um well yeah and and i think there's a really funny line um uh so james gandolfini plays sort of the the number he he's the one who's loyal to um, Gene Hackman's captain. Yeah, uh, and he's uh, the grass. Yeah, and he he's from the beginning just kind of a dick, but he feels very real, uh, like those type of guys. If you've ever met them, you know, a heavy set, mm-hmm. like real patriot type of guy. Um, and he, I believe it's him who who drops a line calling Viggo Mortensen a communist. What are you a communist? You have a problem with us dropping nuclear bombs in Japan? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he definitely, he, he's saying it in, in kind of a joking way, and the other guys start to laugh. Ah, oh, ha, ha, what, you know, what are you, a communist that you you think we shouldn't have dropped a bomb in Japan? And it's like, <laughs> okay. But <laughs> whether it's a joke, whether you're making a joke or not, like, it's kind of a fucked up thing to say. Right. And and I think that that's, what's funny is that um, the, the way that this conversation, conversation goes down does kind of show like some level of political awareness where it's like okay this is not like this is not just your usual like oh this is bad politics in this hollywood movie you know there there is there is some like you said there's some nuance to this conversation that is uh it's it's a really great scene the dialogue is all really good and um the dialogue is nice and it's you know it's they're they're questioning fundamentally and like this becomes kind of a big deal at the end of the conversation where um denzel is quoting like some war philosopher or whatever i've never heard of him but uh presumably some somebody that they study at the academy uh and he makes this argument that like fundamentally the enemy like the the true enemy the real enemy is war itself in the nuclear era and I think that's, you know, that's your kind of um, setup for this internal conflict that happens on the submarine because it's like the real conflict is not just between these two groups of men who are, are you know, fighting about what to do um, about their orders. It's about the results of the order, which would be nuclear holocaust. And that's, you know, Denzel says that over and over again. He's like, we're talking about nuke, like initiating a nuclear holocaust if this is, if we like carry out this order. And uh, I think, I, you know, a war movie that questions the morality of war in that kind of way um, is, you know, that, that's slightly more nuanced than 
than a lot of them. You know, it's not American Sniper, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's and it's cool. It's actually um, like the idea of nuclear warfare is really scary. I mean, it, like genuinely, and it's just uh... it's, it's horrible and it's insane, and it's all based on this. You know, the whole mutually assured destruction thing, right? Uh, which was not you know dominated the Cold War era, and they talk talk about it here as well in the, the same conversation the pre yeah, the concept of the preemptive strike like we got to do it to them before they do it to us yeah yeah and and so it's kind of cool that it is explored um in in a very tense way this movie's really effectively tense i it it did have me literally like sort of on the edge of my seat at a couple of points um because oh, it, it gets pretty intense uh yeah it's it's a really effective thriller uh, but it, it is cool to sort of have like this, yeah, n- nuclear war is scary without it also being like weird, like Red Dawn style, um, like super yes, ultra right. Yeah. yeah. So this scene is really like one of the highlights of the movie, really well written. Um, and uh, and I think that it's cool. It kind of kind of wanted to talk about, too, like I think that James Gandolfini's character feels very real. And like, you know, I'll love to James Gandolfini, huge fan. Um and uh, yeah. and also Gene Hackman's character, um, specifically that older guy who's been in, you know, the service for forever. Um, I had yeah. a specific interaction with somebody a while back. And oh. um, yeah, uh, and he seemed like a very nice guy. He was talking to me about scotch and stuff. And at a certain point, um, it got toward politics. And I was not at my house and this is not somebody I knew. And the person whose house it was is not really like, somebody that I know ultra well or anything. Uh, So yeah, like I'm not going to get into a political argument with their drunk neighbor. Um, But, but yeah, like, you know, you, you start hearing the way that they talk and, um, and it's sort of funny because I think that the nature of it, and it sort of follows um, the way that Gene Hackman talks in this movie throughout, there's a specific line that reminded me of this incident, but um, I can't remember exactly what it is, but essentially talking about all of these things as like this by the book following orders, if we do it, it's right, because it's what we're supposed to do. But at other moments, sort of acknowledging that like, yeah, some stuff is just wrong, but that's the way it is. You know, like there is some nuance in the in the view, the worldview that they're expressing, but it's very, very hidden behind like this really, you know, jingoistic stuff. Right, like they, they try to, set set him up and it, it happens i just rewatched the first like 20 minutes of the movie before we started recording to um fresh my memory but in the um maybe it's in their their little interview where one of the first times that they're like sitting together talking he gene hackman is like i'm the you know the dumb guy who's supposed to just i i they just you know bring me on the ship and they tell me which button to push and they're the ones who decide when when to push it and i just follow orders and then de- and and you you know pointing to Denzel he's like you're the one who's they want you to know why why we're pushing the button and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is that like yeah. there's there he understands that like it's not totally right but he really goes with it and it's like it, you know it take, it's these very specific moments where you get any acknowledgement that like <laughs> this is more complex of an issue than he's willing to call it and and in that interaction too denzel responds i mean everyone should know why right sir and and uh yep he sort of laughs at that yes and that laugh is very creepy that like (laughs) you just it's just like oh my god how are you you know denzel is like trying to be like a good you know like a morally upright person Mm -hmm. which like 
you can't really be that in the military <clears throat> but uh <laughs> gene hackman is just so like cavalier about it and you know yeah it plays into this thing of like yeah the hardened uh war veteran you know the the shit that he's seen he like he's he's had to like learn how to justify things to himself uh in order to like keep doing his job not right. that it seems like it's that hard for him to justify things but uh but that element yeah. exists still you know on a basic right human level we all you know even mass murderers have their low days when they think that uh you know maybe what they're doing is bad right. <laughs> maybe that's the logic oh yeah you were going to tell the story about this right-wing guy that you know you don't want to talk about politics with a stranger yeah well that was sort of the thing he got really drunk and just kept talking to me about stuff and but at a certain point I, some of his mannerisms and the ways that he spoke reminded me of gene hackman in this movie mm. um, where like he was a perfectly pleasant guy for the most part um but yeah like at a certain point you're just like okay um but but his i think his outlook once he started talking about um because he was a veteran of something i don't really know what branch or whatever but um yeah i mean some of that outlook you i really saw and i thought that it was kind of cool that there were parallels to people i've spoken to in this movie that that felt fairly accurate um, whether intentionally or not. And, uh, you know, I'm sure part of that too is Gene Hackman's a great actor. Um, also definitely oh, yeah. a dick in real life. So it's like the perfect combination. <laughs> yeah. 100%. You know, the sequence when the, um, when the submarine submerges and they're, you know, sort of yes. sets off the rest of the movie. Um, that sequence I really like. And I think that um, as, it's, as it's submerging, they're playing the, like the Navy hymn. Um, in the background mm -hmm. but it you know it's this very like loud sounding uh, but it the way that it's shot and the way it plays it really feels like doomsday as was the note that I wrote like it you know and it's partially because it's like foreshadowing you know what's to come in the movie but it's like a nuclear submarine submerging and potentially preparing for world war three or potentially causing world war three you know is a scary idea that's interesting because you you have seen this movie before my first reading of that was not, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I didn't pick up on that at all. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, submarine going underwater like they do. Cool stuff. And, yeah. but what I did notice about the music was that uh, it's this like, it's this nice like men's choir uh, performance of the Navy hymn. It kind of has a Soviet feel to it. <laughs> it kind of does actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point i didn't think yeah. about that but i see what you're saying for sure no and i i really like that you know and and honestly the fact that this movie is actually based on like a story from, that comes from a russian sub i want to see a movie about the russian version yeah let's watch it i i don't does it exist i don't know let's pitch it to somebody we'll let's call find somebody. it you have let's any find, like, you know let's friends is film uh, well, school in russia currently or <laughs> Yeah, let's like let's find some Russians. That's the name of the episode. But also, <laughs> Russians call into the podcast. Um, Come on. The <laughs> you got funnier. Okay, all right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Russians no. come on the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no disrespect. Um. You may not have found this uh, in your research, but I learned a fun fact about that shot, about that that sequence yep. uh, yeah, where they're 
is emerging. Yeah, tell it. I did. I looked it up and I thought that was really funny. Uh, it's perfect, actually. Oh, you tell <laughs> it's it. How cool if Tony you, Scott is. If you know it, then you tell it. Um, so, yeah, so I know, it's awesome. So essentially, Tony Scott, like, and, it, and it's, some of this is like sort of rumored. It's like unclear on exactly how he got this tip, but essentially got a tip that, um, hey, the, the submarine is setting off from where wherever i don't really remember where pearl harbor it was it was the it was real pearl uss harbor. alabama in yes. Pearl Harbor. yeah yes well so he was just looking for like a shot of a submarine and it happened yeah, any to submarine literally the uss alabama which is where this the movie takes place on the uss alabama uh mm-hmm. and so he's just in a helicopter getting shots of it and they don't like that he's doing that so they're like all right submerge and Tony Scott's like, sick, that, I just wanted the submerged shot anyway. And he gets the shot of the sub submerging. And it's such a beautiful sequence. Like, it looks so good in the movie. The I mean, sun. Yeah. And, oh, it's, it's like, yeah, it's magic it's really hour. Nice. It's the magic hour as he gets this shot of that he's essentially yeah. just stealing. And it's like, right. and, shit. And, <laughs> and the the thing that I read is that it's like, you know, he basically Googled <laughs> before he did this, is it legal to film <laughs> U.S. Navy vessels without permission, and nothing came up, so he was like, "All right, we'll just go do it." I hadn't read that far. That's even better. Holy shit! Uh, yeah. And that just—that's you know what? This episode is really just about how good Tony Scott is. And there you go. Yes. There's all the evidence you need, King. Another kind of aspect of the whole, like the Navy wasn't really like didn't really approve of this, is that before they actually started filming. Uh, the the movie itself they went in they sent a crew onto some naval vessel that they were going to model it after and they just filmed a bunch of stuff they were like they filmed the men working and doing drills and like you know going back and forth they fil- they filmed all of the um this kind of a background information for their you know set designers and whatever for them to build the um mm-hmm. build out the the movie in the future right. and so they had per- they had navy permission to do that because they had only submitted a certain version like a pre version of the scripts to the navy and the navy was like cool whatever like yeah come on <laughs> come on down film your stuff and then get the hell out when they actually started filming and they like you know had adapted the script or whatever the navy, and the navy found out about it they were like um fuck no, you can't use any of our subs. You know, you can't like come back again to do any more filming on our on our stuff. Like, yeah, we're not affiliated with this movie at all. Right. Uh, yeah, which is so cool. I mean, it really is cool. I feel like um, when I die, if there is like a you know an afterlife, it'll be like Tony Scott will appear to me as like a, a Star Wars style like Force Ghost, and it'll be mm-hmm. like, "Come on, son," and then I'll follow him. You know? <laughs> I just picture that's how he talks, but. Oh my god! <laughs> and that'll be me and Tony. Ah oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a movie and call it Me and Tony, and it's just gonna be like me and Tony hanging out. But I'll just, just use like, like archive a... footage of him and edit myself into it. Oh my god! Yeah, or like a hologram of Tony Scott, like giving you <laughs> advice. Yeah, like no nah, fuck the or like... hologram. I need the Tony Scott hologram. Oh my god! <laughs> or like a it's like a Stranger Than Fiction kind of vibe where like you have a voice in your head and it's like narr- telling like narrating your life, but it's Tony Scott. <laughs> Damn, I would love that shit. That's my dream. I know. Thing. I think uh, I think I need to start working on uh, a draft of this. I'll send it to Ridley Scott to get his like stamp of approval that I respectfully mm-hmm. portrayed his brother, which he'll agree with because I idolize the man, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, 
good. Each each podcast episode now, we end up with a new um, project idea because we have the big Jim McLean remake in the works, and now we have oh um, me and Tony. So it's gonna. This is kind of perfect. I'm really. We're getting a lot out of this. I we're creating a lot of work for ourselves is what we're doing, man. <laughs> I mean, it's good work though. So hustle the hu- yeah. keep on the hustle. Yes, yeah, that's what they need. That's what we need. That's that's how you the the grind the hustle and the grind <laughs> capitalism man. Hell yeah, <laughs> we're we're dominating the system. <laughs> we're as we both record this on our phones in our beds. Yeah, actually, I'm on my laptop. So think about that. Oh whoa! Yeah, big, big shot big over here on his laptop. <laughs> yeah, see, I use it sometimes for this. I had one other note, and then I I think we've kind of covered this movie. Um, okay. there's this really great part in the movie where they're sort of trying to get Viggo Mortensen to team up with them to do mutiny number two, uh, which would mm-hmm. be against Denzel Washington, which is, you know, Viggo yeah. Mortensen and Denzel are friends. We see he's at Denzel's daughter's birthday in the opening of the film. And so yeah, they're trying to sell him. Yeah. They're trying to sell him on that. Uh, you know, they need to launch these missiles because, you know the, they need to get off the preemptive strike i guess and you know vigo sort of has his doubts of like well you know what what if denzel is wrong and then like you know then what and he, he, we already see that he he's sort of considered this and they they're sort of trying to pressure him into like look we got the the note that he is prepping to fire the missile like we know that this is happening it's a hope that this second transmission that didn't totally come through is is them saying oh don't never mind don't worry about it but that's so unlikely and and they're trying to sell him on this and um one of the guys tells him radchenko is fueling his birds now why do you think he's doing that why you don't put on a condom unless you're gonna fuck you don't put on a condom unless you're gonna fuck and that's the best line in the movie <laughs> that was right that. it was pretty good pretty i mean good. it's just classic you know just uh, men doing their posturing yeah no that, i was really that's dudes really, on the sub yeah 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 no like <laughs> and i was very disappointed in viggo mortensen for like falling for you know for for giving into that i, I really thought that he was going to stand up for his friend no it was a bummer um but he redeems himself in the end when he uh refuses to open the lock until the safe until yes. uh, until Gene Hackman draws his service pistol and aims it at another guy's head and says, "If you don't open it, I'm gonna brain this." If you man. don't open it, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then like, was like, "Okay." <laughs> which like, how fucked up is that? How how could you? That's like point of no return <laughs> right. for that guy's that guy's career, right? Which is eventually what happens. He ends, you know, he he applies for retirement because he fucking drew a weapon on it one of his subordinates yeah not even like not even like one who was guilty of the mutiny not that that would like make it okay morally but like you know there would at least be that like oh he was a a, you know it was mutiny i had to do it um it's a random dude standing by he's using as a hostage it's a hostage negotiation at that point (laughs) exactly like that is extremely fucked up and that that's like um yeah absolutely no justification for that insane the the man should honestly the man for that should have had his his, you know his rank and everything stripped away from him no no retirement fuck you but whatever 
like but you, you said, gotta respect his dedication to the craft you know yeah and, and like we said military doesn't have necessarily have a a tradition of punishing uh bad people in its ranks it only punishes political enemies well um i think that about wraps us up did you have any parting thoughts on this one no i i think you know entertaining movie um good way to spend a saturday night i thoroughly enjoyed it uh yeah we stand denzel we stand uh tony scott for sure i learned a lot about tony scott today thank you zach you're welcome and uh yeah that's about it thank you for letting us watch a good movie yeah thanks thanks to the listeners this is definitely by far our least organized episode we've ever done um good luck editing yeah so um in conclusion uh this is gonna be i guess at this point this is the end so you've heard the episode and it is a new kind of episode so you're entering dangerous new territory with american activities until next time peace out brothers see you then I just think that in the nuclear world, the true enemy can't be destroyed. Attention on deck. Von Clausewitz will now tell us exactly who the real enemy is. <laughs> Von. <laughs> in my humble opinion, In the nuclear world, the true enemy is war itself.